the cloud. Okay, hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back to the Bitcoin Stoa. As a reminder, this is a community-funded project. So if you enjoy listening, you can support our work by sending some sats to the QR code at our website, bitcoinstoa.com, or you can stream sats or boost sats while listening through Fountain App, which is a really dope app. And you, you can actually get paid to listen to podcasts in Fountain, which is still feels weird to say, but it's legit. Uh, current Moscow time is 52.25 at 7.56.70. And with that said, it's my honor to welcome Mike Hobart back to the STOA for part two of our conversation uh, about how fiat incentivizes disease and how Bitcoin can lead us into a future that incentivizes health. So Mike, welcome back and thanks for being here. <laughs> Dude, thanks for uh, inviting me back. Because I, I told you on the last one, I think, uh... So I think we both re re listened to it. Um, I told you on the last one that I don't like, I don't really reach out to try and get on podcasts. So I always appreciate the the invite to come back and riff because you know me, dude. I, I I can riff on this stuff for like nine hours a day. Love it. Appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, I mean, I uh, usually the people who reach out to be on the podcast don't end up getting on the podcast. The people who I see <laughs> proof of work that they know their shit are the people I chase down as hard as I can to be on the podcast. So yes, you, um, you have valuable knowledge and information and experience from what I've seen. Um, you write and, uh, yeah, that's what qualifies you as an authority to have this chat. So, um, yeah, thanks for being here. Appreciate your time. And for context, for the, so this is part two of our conversation. And for context, to those who haven't listened to part one, I would recommend listening to that. Um, we recorded that one on July 29th, and we mainly focused on the problems, right? We spoke about how fiat incentivizes disease. And we also just talked about concrete ways that we see disease showing up in the world around us, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So we kind of really riffed on, this is what we're seeing, this is the state of disease. This is how fiat incentivizes that. And today we're going to focus on the flip side, on the on on the funner part, to be quite frank, um, which is you know focusing on the solution and how you know just sort of unpacking how Bitcoin incentivizes health and serves as a this new monetary foundation that enables us to replace the legacy fiat system, which incentivizes disease, with a new monetary system based on sound money, which incentivizes health. And so we're going to do our best to articulate our perspectives on that and why we believe that to be true. And I think a good place to start is with time preference and incentives, because that really is, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's the lens I look at everything through now. It's like, um, you know, Munger's got that great, great quote, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. And I think that the incentives of the money we use percolate into every decision we make in life. Right. It's like the, it creates this bedrock game theory for human civilization. And, you know, I truly believe in my soul that we become our incentives. Right. These incentives are the, the invisible hand that nudges our behavior, whether we realize it consciously or not, it's happening. And yeah. um, so let's talk about you want to give your perspective on time preference and incentives as it relates to fiat and Bitcoin to kick us off. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've also written a couple things on this between my own, my personal medium and like Bitcoin magazine. So um, your listeners, they can, if you guys just search Mike Hobart, um, actually, if you even, I've, I even tested this out. If you go to Google and just search Mike Hobart, I think I have my, the Bitcoin magazine page is like the first or second um, Google search. So it's relatively easy to find my stuff. Awesome. Um, but 
I agree. I've I've written one thing in particular where I said that Bitcoin is it it's based it's an essential it's essentially a financial system of integrity, which is like fiat is I think we both agree is the polar opposite of that for the reasons that we just discussed, but are the reasons that you just brought up. But and this is this will be for your listeners. I assume that this conversation is going to feel a lot like uh, Alex Alex Epstein's Fossil Future book. Like if if you have read it or if any of your listeners have read it. Um, once you get through about halfway through the book, you kind of get the gist of how like everything that we, every individual topic we bring up is going to be related to Bitcoin and financial integrity and economic integrity. Um, and we're going to, it's going to be re- like redundantly, re- like just, we're going to be hammering it home every single time. Um, and like the, the, the most easy way or basic way to talk about it, like again, is time preference. And one of the, this is going to be a perfect analogy for you and I, because we will come from health. One of the ways that I actually start this conversation off with um, individuals that don't really aren't used to thinking about money in this like low time preference, kind of like incentives mechanism. And like, uh, I don't know, I guess that would be the most basic way, but like one of the, the easiest, the, one of the most effective analogies I've used is like, for example, for somebody that starts a new workout routine, um, the, from the outside looking in, most people think that there's too much to adopting a, a, a healthy physical activity routine on a weekly basis because there's so many things that are related to it, right? There's there's circadian rhythm, there's hydration, there's nutrition, there's um, eating like like eating practices throughout the day and all that stuff. Um, so what I describe to them is like once you get started, say squatting or working out, then you start to realize then you start to really understand how all these individual different touch points along that system get incorporated in. And it, it like, once you start, you just slowly work into incorporating all these different. So like, for example, um, so what you're saying is starting a training routine is really a low time preference thing where it's like over time building it up, not just something that like you do today and transforms your entire health. Like it's a low time yeah, preference yeah, endeavor. Exactly. Yeah. You don't, and I apologize. Like I got, like I'm so coffeeed up. This That's okay. With all, That's okay. With all this bank of England stuff, like I'm all over the place. Um, <laughs> yeah. Shit's starting to break. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like, you know, scary, yeah. but also like kind of knew this was going to happen. It's just interesting yeah. to see how it manifests. So, yeah. So, um, so like, for example, the, in the analogy, if we wanted to make it like on par, the start would be just like getting some Bitcoin and then working to understand Bitcoin. That would be tantamount to just getting in the gym and squatting, in my opinion, right? Um, because what people don't identify or acknowledge today is that when the incentives of the base money are you can essentially just print it whenever you want, then the consequences of decision-making ends up becoming directly related to that. So for example, with Bitcoin, on a Bitcoin standard, if you, for example, were to go out and purchase something, or I guess as far as like a good at Walmart, like if you're going to like, like with all this stuff that's going on, like say you wanted to purchase like a, a, a gas generator or something. Um, if you purchase it on a fiat standard over time, over decades and decades, 
the quality of that product is going to get worse because they're not incentivized to produce a product that is going to stick around, is going to last for a long time because within a fiatized system, they're more incentivized to make more profit by producing a product that degrades rapidly so that you are the, so that the consumer is incentivized to purchase a new one from them again later. It's rent seeking behavior, right? Just like how we were talking about the, the doctors and the lat in, in part one. Um, so that'd be an example of high time preference, right? I think yep. even just to put a pin in this right now, so people have context, like high time, time preference is an indicator of whether you value the present or the future, which one you value more, right? High yeah. time preference means you value the present more than the future. Low time preference means you value the future more than the present. You place higher value on the future than the present. So high time preference, if you, it's two generators, one is a low time preference generator, one is a high time preference generator. High time preference generator, which is the fiat world, is build a shitty ass generator that people can use, but that will it's likely cheap. break down because it's not built well, right? Build it cheaply, yep. build it fast, sell it um, as quick as you can, and really don't really care much for how that thing actually performs over its life because its life is actually super short so that people it just breaks people buy another one yep. low time preference would be spend a lot more time and energy and effort building a generator that lasts for 50 years it's more expensive it's way better built but it's built with the mindset that it's going to last a long period of time and perform well over that time uh because and it's the intention isn't for, for it to break down and people to buy another one. It's for this thing to last a long time to outlast many fiat generators. So yeah. yeah, time preference, whether you value the present more than the future. Um, you know, the, the classic way you can articulate that is with the delayed gratification experiment with kids. You can yep. either have, you can choose the one marshmallow today. study. <laughs> the marshmallow study. Yeah, yeah. You can have one marshmallow today or you can have two marshmallows tomorrow. And if you value the present more than the future, you choose one right now, right? Instant gratification. If you value the future more than the present, then you wait 24 hours, but you get double the amount of marshmallows. And so that's yeah. like maybe the easiest way to explain time preference. But yeah, keep yeah. going with that thread. No, no, that was, that was really good because like a lot of times I have to catch myself because it, like it's, uh, it's almost kind of like, I don't want to say misnomer, but it's not intuitive. Like you would think, you would think right. that high time preference means like, on a, on a graph, like a scale, like greater amount of time. But yeah. Um, I think and it's easy for, as Bitcoiners to just, just to think that everyone understands this shit because we've been immersed <laughs> in it for so long. And it's like, actually, I most people don't know what time preference is, despite them, uh, you know, being affected by that concept every day in their decisions. And it's almost like, you know, when it comes to health at a broad view, health is a low time preference endeavor. Right. Like, yeah, I, I think here's a here's a good example of high and low time preference, because I think we'll use these um, terms applied to different elements of health. If you want to build the bigger, qu bigger quads. OK, high time preference is you go and get. Um, you know, like cosmetic inserts that look like big quads <laughs> or <laughs> you can get or them right now. Testosterone replacement therapy or TRT or some weird ass thing that allows you to build muscle or get some plastic shit insert. I saw this the other day, I was, my mind was blown. That's high time preference. Low time yeah. preference is putting the time and energy to consistently squat um, and build muscle over time in a, in a way that doesn't compromise your function and is actually giving you real strength. So it's like, yeah. yeah. And well, and, and then another, another good um, 
kind of parallel to it would also be because like one of the other things that's uh very closely related to bitcoin and low time preference thinking and all this other stuff would be um reputation so reputation is gonna be if you want a good reputation it's gonna have to be low time preference thinking like delayed gratification like all this other stuff versus like some personalities on social media that we know um it's gonna be reputation versus clicks right clicks and followers versus reputation like 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 it's all essentially aligned the same way right and you can buy clicks you can't buy a reputation no no yeah reputation is like you're you're in it for the long haul and you're (laughs) you're trying to make the, the proper decisions um over a very extended period of time um but yeah and then so like the other thing is too is that that we have to also talk about the the economics of like what a quality money does. Um, so I wrote another piece, and I think we might have talked, we might have touched on it in part one. I can't remember. Um, I wrote another piece for Bitcoin Magazine called uh, "Bitcoin Changes Like Changes Your Perception of Time," essentially. So, like, what what Bitcoin will do is that once you start to look into this, you start to understand what happens when you cannot, when you like, it is impossible to manipulate the money, and when it's what that also means is that you can't claw it back either like a credit card, right? Like just somebody, if somebody gets your information and they spend your money on a credit card, you can have it clawed back. Um, well, one of the benefits to Bitcoin is that they can't do that, right? They can't just like get your Bitcoin wallet without you screwing up your security practices and then taking your money. Um, credit cards are dumb as fuck. I mean, just the way they're done. It's like, <laughs> think of this. Every time you spend money on a credit card, you are giving someone your password, right? Yeah. You're giving them everything they need to do whatever the fuck they want well, with your credit card. What's, what's worse? What's worse is if you do so it with silly. a debit card, they get access to your social security account, like number. Like it's nonsense. <laughs> it's like why? Would, it's like, like yeah. Every time you buy something with a credit card, you're giving someone the password, and then we're shocked when people use our password to steal shit from us. It's like <laughs> why don't we just have a way to not give? Like why can't I just spend money without giving someone the keys? It's like every time it would be the same thing as like every time you welcome someone in your house, you just give them the key and say, yeah, keep this forever. Hopefully you don't break in. It's like, that's stupid. Uh, You should probably just let them in, let them out and not give them a fucking key because that's a whole lot of risk you're taking. And it just, I mean, it blows my mind that credit cards, I understand the dynamic. Like Jack does a great, Jack Mollish does a great job at unpacking like where the hell did credit cards come from? Why do we still do them this way? They're on their way out, but it just blows my mind that we're, you know, there's so many billions of dollars of visa fraud every year. uh, And yet we're giving people the password every time we spend money. Why are we surprised when people use that password and steal from us? It's so silly. (laughs) God damn. But, uh, but but, but, so back, back to the analogy that I was, um, I was laying out is that, uh, so one of the reasons that what, so something that seems to be going on that I've noticed is that people in the general populace aren't thinking about like the value that money provides. Right. So we have to, we have to wheel this like way, way back in time. Like if, if in this analogy, just consider like think pioneers, like none of the United States has like nothing West of the Appalachians has been like uh, settled or anything. And we're all like establishing homesteads or whatever you, uh, caribou you like you're 
really, really good at making bread. I'm really, really good at making axes, right? Like, and we both sacrificed many hundreds of hours screwing up and like learning like the best practices, producing the best good that we can. Um, if I don't want any more of your bread, but you want one of my axes, we're going to need something that's neutral or something else that is like, that is economically valuable to the point of like where we can facilitate exchange, right? Yeah, we need a medium of exchange. Yeah. That we both agree has value and that we're willing to um, part with and, and that we know imbues some form of value. Yeah. And if that medium of exchange requires relatively significant effort to acquire it, we're going to value it more, right? What, like, like For this example, we could just use gold because it would be the easiest example. Sure. Um, or we can use Bitcoin. It doesn't matter. Um, it gets matter. It matters and you can get more farther into, you know, modern day time period. But so in this example, we'll, we'll, we'll just use Bitcoin. It'll be easier. So we're going to use Bitcoin to exchange, right? Because we both value it. We both like some, one of us wants one of the other's goods. Um, we both have, have to work to acquire the Bitcoin we have, and no one can dilute the value of the Bitcoin we have because it's hard coded. So it, it, it has this sense of innate tr mathematically true value, which means we are more careful with where we spend it because yes, that's, that's, where that's en that represents our energy, right? If you yep. waste your, if you piss your energy away, you're going to be destroyed. Well, it, um, it, it not only represents your energy, but it represents the time that you sacrificed in order to acquire it, which also involves the time that was sacrificed in order to acquire the goods or the services. I mean, the services and the skills that were used to acquire it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the time that went into like the effort, the time, the energy that went into acquiring those skills that were used to produce, like to, to earn that Bitcoin in payment. So. Now, wheel it back and use a use a like for this example, let's do it with like fiat currency. Nobody cares about the dollars that they're spending today because it doesn't take any actual effort to produce them. And now people think that it's like, oh, that's that's like that's a leap. You get, that's a really, really unfair leap. But it's not because so. Go back to 2008 when we bailed out the banks because they were making really stupid decisions with millions of other people's money. We literally, at that moment, we incentivized big decision makers into irresponsible activity. Like that right there just opened the floodgates. Like, oh, we can, we can screw up and we can get a bunch of free money and we can maintain our bonuses. And there's no consequence. In fact, you get paid giant yeah. money to take huge risks um, even if that, you screw a that, bunch of people over. That is the key point. Like they're like, they realize like our, our decisions to bail out the banks. And by the way, it wasn't just banks. It was like the big car manufacturers. Like I'm pretty sure Ford got a pretty significant bailout. Yep. Um, so what this did was it, it like, it like you just said, it told them, it told our institutions that they could partake in extremely irresponsible behavior with zero consequence yes. that boils that works its way down into the rest of the economy all the way down to the most impoverished people like and and people i i i really struggle to understand why people can't like conceptualize this mm -hmm. because that right there is an example of how the philosophy of the money bleeds into a philosophy of the society
Right. Because when we gave billions of dollars, so basically it's like, okay, if you run a bank, what the fiat system is telling you, the incentive it's providing you, right? Which humans just react to incentives. Like regardless, set aside this notion of good and bad people and just look at it as all humans react to the incentives they're presented. If you work in banking, the incentive presented to you is you can take massive risk, which can result in massive profit. And if you profit, you keep the profits. And if that risk goes sour and you lose a bunch of money, you are not responsible for those losses. We're going to give you a shitload of money, which really just dilutes every other person that uses that money, dilutes everyone's purchasing power. So you privatize the gains and you socialize the losses and there's no accountability or responsibility for any shitty decisions made. That is what the fiat system is telling the bankers. So obviously the bankers are going to keep doing that shit. And it's and, all and based on the fact that fiat can just be created out of nowhere. And you know, you know what they're further incentivized to do then in that strategy too, which they are doing, is they use those poor decision-making, whatever, the poor decisions that they're making, I'm sorry. Um, they use those poor decisions to provide a smokescreen for acquiring assets. Hmm. And then their screw up looks like they just made some poor decisions and like it's just a negative on their balance sheet. So they get this free money. So then that money gets thrown back at them Meanwhile, their assets are going up in value because they're debasing the currency. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, that's what people aren't aren't understanding. That's a big one, in my opinion. Yeah. And I mean, also, also, I wanted to like th this will be an example that um, I wanted to lay out because we'll touch back on it um, later on in the discussion. Or like an example of these poor decisions that like cause them to lose money and they just get free money back. Wind and solar, because they're not economically effective as far as producing like high quality, reliable energy. So the, so society and the legislative body are just like, Oh, well, it, it's too expensive. It's not making, it's not making enough money. Like it's doing all this other stuff. So we'll just subsidize it and print more money. Right. Like that. And, and that'll solve it. It's like, no, no, that's not, that's not how it's solved. Like at all, like not even remotely close. And now we're running into situations like in Europe and it's only going to keep getting worse. Yeah, it's super silly. Um, so maybe to kind of like tie, put a, you know, put a button on time preference and incentives. It's like time preference, incentives are really the nudges, the invisible nudges that push individuals and companies in certain directions. Yeah. And so the time preference of the money we use determines the fundamental incentives that we act by both as individuals and as companies. And so fiat is high time preference, meaning that through the fiat lens, if you're looking at the world through the fiat lens, AKA you use fiat, the present is more important than the future. Because if your money's being diluted over time, you must spend it today because it will be worth less tomorrow. More now, less later. Yes. Whereas Bitcoin is low time preference. The future ends up being more viewed as more important than the present in all your yeah. decisions unconsciously because a Bitcoin spent today would have been worth more tomorrow. And so you're automatically incentivized to delay your gratification because that is what the base incentive structure of the money does through its time preference. Um, so that's a good place to kind of start it off because I think knowing time, knowing what time preference means and how fiat is, why fiat is high time preference, why Bitcoin is low time preference. And if you accept the assumption that the time preference built into the money determines the incentives that guide decisions. So we're going to apply that 
framework um, to health. And before we do, I think it maybe it's more uh, another important element uh, in terms of, you know, if we're really anchoring back on Bitcoin incentivizes health, you know, how does it do that? Well, through the time preference of the money, which creates its incentive structure. But I think another really important one to mention before we get into specifics is the idea that health is a process that requires time and energy, right? If you, if you accept the assumption that health requires time, um, Bitcoin enhances health because it protects our time, right? Yeah. Like if you use fiat, your time and energy is constantly being, being stolen. Therefore, you will have less and less time to spend on your health. And yep. Bitcoin, through a fixed supply cap of 21 million, which cannot be manipulated by anyone, remo it removes the ability of the people in power to manipulate money, which dilutes our purchasing power and steals our time. So just by protecting our time and energy, Bitcoin is automatically enhancing health and incentivizing health because it leaves us with the opportunity to have more time available to take care of ourselves. And I think this is like, this is what made me want to shift my full energy from health to Bitcoin because yes. Bitcoin is what allows time for health. And fiat is what constantly steals away the time available to spend taking care of ourselves. So, so even if you understand everything you are quote unquote supposed to be doing, if you understand all the things that you want to change in your life and work on to improve your health, if your time is being stolen, you will not have time to implement those things. Yep. So I think that's an important one to mention. And, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and, 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 it's, and it's also important to like, this will be more of a continuation slash elaboration on part one is like when we talk about having time for health, that doesn't mean, that doesn't strictly mean more time to go to the gym or more time, like, you know, or more time for stretching or yoga or whatever. But it also means more time for doing things like having creative outlets, like painting or drawing or, you know, pottery or whatever it is that like it can be any like writing like it can be any anything where you're creating something like that's a very like important aspect of health and at the same time it also means more time for spiritual health like whether you're meditating or going to church or maybe you're meditating maybe you're like me and your meditation is also the the creative outlets or like going to the gym like too many, too much, too many of us try to compartmentalize and silo all these different things as if they're completely independent from everything else. Like that is not, that's, that's not reality guys. And so like when, when we say that Bitcoin gives you more time, like it means time for literally whatever you choose. And like, and one of the important aspects of this too, because like you and I both know from our experiences in the health fields is that most of the people that we try and convince to get into working out, they don't think they have enough time to like, do the healthy things for themselves hmm. because the fiat system has produced this, this life schedule or this lifestyle where we feel like we have to constantly be going 110% all day, every day. Like besides the fact that like I personally don't have that kind of, like I have a lot of drive, but I have to point it in different aspects of my life throughout the day. Otherwise I get burnt out, which I'm very confident is all of us. Um, besides that, like if like, for example, like the majority, I would probably argue that the majority of the American population or even the Western population is working at a job that they don't necessarily care for just so they can get income to pay for rent, pay for food and all this other stuff. Right. 
if you don't really care for it, good luck giving her a hundred percent, good luck giving her 90%, good luck giving her 80%. And like some people try and push these things with unhealthy practices, like sucking down a pot and a half of caffeine like myself, but that's more just because like, I like caffeine, but, um, most people are going to try and like force these things, right? Like they're going to like start as soon as they wake up in the morning, they're going to slam a Red Bull and then try and get ready for work while they're driving to work. And they're stuck in two hours worth of traffic or something like that. Right. Like none of that is healthy, like right. none of it. So like when we, when, when guys like you and I talk about Bitcoin and Bitcoin being like this answer to seemingly almost everything, it's because economic activity and monetary policy touches everything. Yes. Like it drives the incentives that you keep like that you keep talking about. Like, like, yeah. And it's, it's frustrating because I hate seeing so many of my peers and family members um, in this dark nihilistic depressed state that they are today because the majority of the, the developed world is, is at that point. Like they don't, because we're at a we're at a point now after however many decades of indoctrination within the education systems to think that the way monetary policy is today is just like some sort of etched in stone doctrine like this has to be the way it's done like, yeah, no. i don't even think most people under, even know what monetary policy is means why it's relevant right it's like this, it's an experiment this... that's all it is yeah and and i most people, it's like this ephemeral thing that maybe they've heard the word, but it's not something that they deem within their realm of, of, of within their ability to understand. So they don't even engage with it. Therefore, they're always walking around with a blindfold on uh, using money they know nothing about to orient everything in their lives. And it's like you, you make yourself really vulnerable to being manipulated when you refuse to understand the very thing that embeds itself in every part of your life. Like one of my favorite things to say in our health network is like, I don't care who you are or what you do, what you choose to do with your life. There are two things that you have no choice but to be heavily influenced by, and that is health and money. So if there are two things that you should probably learn a little bit about because they will affect you, whether you want to subscribe into them or not, it's health and money. Oh, and by the way, like some, some of your listeners might um, try and say, no, it's not health and money. Like time needs to be in there. It's like, well, yes, but that money aspect gets time wrapped up into it. Like if you think if like, if you're, if we're honest with ourselves, the way any of us think about time now is in reference to how much money it's going to cost us. Right. Mm -hmm. Like what, like regardless of what you're doing, like if you want to take a vacation day, I would argue that one of the reasons that you're going to like reconsider taking that vacation day is because you're going to miss out on pay. And people, people don't think on those terms. Like people don't think about like the fact that like this system has caused you to think of like your day's worth of time as missing out on like an hourly wage or something like, and that's, that's not that that's such a parasitic toxic way to think about life. Yeah. And I think if we want to tether time, which is really our truly most scarce resource, I mean, I, I'm starting to, you know, Marty Ben says this often, it's all about the energy, baby. Um, I'm, I'm with a, 
woman right now who is very attuned to energy. I've never really thought of like energy within the human context before, but what I'm realizing is like everything is about energy, whether it's human yep. dynamics, whether it's global dynamics, whether it's money, money is socioeconomic energy. Um, whether it's emotional energy, intentional energy. It's blowing my it's mind. All, it, like all of it, all of it plays a role. So if we say Spiritual. time slash energy is really the true scarce resource, um, money is how we choose to store our time and energy right? Is the vehicle we use yeah. to store that over time and space. Um, and health is what determines whether time is valuable. Like if you are in constant pain, time is not your friend, right? If you are no. in disease, the notion of living 100 years in pain sucks. So to me, one insight that I had a while back was like, health is what makes time either valuable or painful right? Like without health, time sucks. With health, yeah. time is valuable. And so it's like money is how we store our time and energy. Health is what makes time valuable as humans. Um, so it's all kind of interconnected, but I really, you know, money and health, you can't ignore. And um, yeah, I just think this notion that, you know, the money you choose determines how well you're able to protect your energy or how easily your energy is stolen from you. Um, and it's also what opens the door to have time available to spend taking care of yourself and, um, that, and, and you know, your family and others and your family. Yeah. And I think taking care of yourself means, like you said, it means it's like a giant umbrella term taking, doing things you love, hobbies, you love creative outlets is taking care of yourself going yeah. and moving or stressing your body to build resilience is taking care of yourself. Um, connecting deeply into relationships that are meaningful to you is taking care of yourself. Like all these yeah. things are packed, eating good food, real food is taking care of yourself. So all those things are packed in and we'll address some of those specifically. And so. there's, there's one more thing I want to I want to tack onto that too, real quick too, because this also goes back to talking about working out um, and all this. Other. So like a very important aspect of health is pushing your limits, but in moderation, right? Yeah. So pushing limits in the squat rack is, e is easy to conceptualize or deadlifting. Like, thinking of those limits, but also pushing our limits in either the things that we know we love as far as our passions, like our creative and philosophical and spiritual outlets, or which is a problem that I'm running into with a lot of my peers that are reaching out to me for help around my area or pushing those limits also means looking like try, trying new things, getting out of our comfort zone to find those passions if we don't have them. Right. Yeah. And so because there's there's a very important dynamic as far as like the way our bodies are designed over the hundreds of thousands of years of evolution and natural selection, our bodies are finely tuned to basically turn any sort of stressor into a benefit as long as it's in moderation, because chronic stress, obviously, then the body starts to break down and cortisol and all that, all, all that stuff. But like when it's in moderation our body is designed to adapt to that higher threshold of, of stress. And it it will release all sorts of these different, like, like reward systems, like endorphins and dopamine is like one of the easiest ones. Um, it, it'll reward, it'll release these reward systems. So it's like, Hey, like that was awesome. Like now it's time. Like, let's, let's cool it off a little bit. You're sore. You're a little worn out. Like, let's, let's like, like, let's grow and readapt to this higher level of stress. And then let's go do it again. Like you're literally built to do the difficult shit. 
Yeah. It's just that w- because of the fiat system, we've fallen into this like, like this deep, dark abyss swamp of just like, hey, no, be comfortable. Like you right. always want to be comfortable. Oh, and now that you're comfortable, um, start chasing dopamine. Like play video games, watch porn, eat all this high fat, high salt, high carb. Like Instant food. gratification. Yeah, yeah. At the expense of long-term health. It's like yep. high time preference. I want it now. I want everything. I get all the pleasure now. The consequence is that you dysregulate your system and put it out of whack so that you have to constantly be chasing that. Whereas low time preference is I'm going to hold off on all the instant gratification and I'm going to do meaningful things that give me pleasure over time in a natural way that aligns with my body's biology. Yep. Um, let's talk about disease care. So this is one that's kind of, you know, up close and personal for me because I came from the disease care world. I was a physical therapist. I saw this firsthand. So, you know, I'll just, I'll just slam these out in quick, concrete, punchy ways. And then, um, we can kind of riff on it. So low time prep if we're, if we're rewinding, the basis of this whole conversation is fiat is high time preference and it incentivizes disease. Bitcoin is low time preference and it incentivizes health. So that's the base premise we're kind of stepping off of, um, in disease care. So I'll give two examples. One is musculoskeletal. So I'm going to give the example of knee pain. And then the second one is a chronic disease. So I'll give the example of a heart condition. So at a macro level, low time preference means getting to the root cause and resolving it. That takes time. It doesn't happen immediately. It takes effort, but the end result is that you actually solve the problem. High time preference really just means treating the symptoms while ignoring the cause, which gives instant relief, but it also makes the problem worse and it doesn't solve it. And so those are the two dynamics. So let's apply that to knee pain. You look at knee pain, the low time preference approach to knee pain would be to recalibrate the imbalances that were created from sitting, uh, restore like efficient movement patterns, restore your hip and foot function. And that takes time. It's also not very profitable right now in a fiat world. The high time preference path is to take pills or get injections uh, into your knee to cover up the symptoms, which in a fiat world is very profitable, <laughs> but doesn't solve the fucking problem and actually makes it worse. So that's low time preference, high time preference example within knee pain. And if we accept the assumption that the money we use determines which time preference lens we look at the world through, fiat makes us high time preference, take the pills, get the injections, make me feel better right now, but not really deal with the problem. Bitcoin is a low time preference lens, which means Take the time to understand the problem, resolve the causes, solve the problem for good. So that's knee pain. I'll do the heart condition one and then we'll riff on it. Heart condition, (laughs) low time preference, lifestyle changes, change what you eat, change how you move, um, reduce the stressors in your life. This is not very profitable in a fiat world. This is actually how you solve the problem. High time preference. This is the one that aligns with the fiat world's very profitable is get surgery on your heart, get a stent put in, go in and get all the gunk trimmed out, take drugs to control your symptoms, never solve the problem. Right. And so that's take drugs to thin your blood. <laughs> exactly. So that those are just like examples. And I saw this in the, in the disease care world, which most people still think is called the healthcare world. You are incentivized as a professional to provide instant gratification, high time preference, symptom management, and you are not incentivized to provide low time preference, 
real solutions that require energy and time to change and actually solve the problem. That is the fuckery we're dealing with. And that is why we are all sick because that is what the entire system nudges us towards, whether we choose to acknowledge that or not. And yeah, love to hear your thoughts. It's, it's, and it's ultimately because like, first let's talk about the, the, the term or the concept of profit on it. Because like the, like with the, the knee example, instead of taking the time to say, Oh, you would be, there would involve maybe some chiropractic, maybe some sports massage and releasing of some of the muscle tissue that's pushing, that's pulling all like the different imbalances that's leading to the problem. But also like you're discussing like retraining the, the gate and all that stuff to like further, like balance out the imbalances as far as like how the individual is stepping versus one leg or the other, like all that stuff. The profitability in that practice is skewed more towards the patient, right? Because they are capable of gaining more free use of their more free use and healthy active use of their body and their limbs going off into perpetuity in theory versus if the doctor just does like the injections and the scoping and all this other stuff, they get the profitability immediately. Like it's all concentrated within like that moment. Um, and ultimately what that is, is a misallocation of resources and the, and the resources that are misallocated are largely time. Like we were discussing, because in the first example of like taking the long form approach to really solving the issue gives a lot of time to the patient. Like it gives them a lot of time in the sense of they get to use a, like a, a real knee for a lot longer instead of having babies to rely on a knee replacement or it gives them a lot of time in the sense of now they don't have to spend so much time nursing an injury or stressing out about whether they need to get like a, like a knee replacement or anything like that. Like we, like we have to think about all these second, third and um, well, secondary tertiary and higher levels of like consequences down the road, because like it's, it's, pretty hard for a lot of people to conceptualize how much value that long form time like profit is for the individual to take the long time to get the long time answer. Right. Like it, and it, again, it boggles my mind that people are incapable of thinking this way, but I know that people are capable, incapable of thinking this way because we weren't really raised to think that way. I think another thing is like the way disease care professionals are trained nudges them towards them becoming a pill, not a resource. And here, here's what I mean by that. Um, I make more money as a health professional. If I convince you that you need me and I can fix you. Right. Yep. And that's total bullshit because number one, I can't fix anyone, right? (laughs) Only the individual can fix themselves. But I, you know, when you pay thousands and thousands of dollars and invest a shitload of time into getting a piece of paper that says you are the knower, you are the fixer. It kind of convinces you that you're the fixer. And it's a harsh reality when you realize, shit, what I learned doesn't even help. And I can't, oh, I'm actually anyone. worthless. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. And we'll, you know, we'll touch on, um, proof of work education and proof of degree education, like a little nugget on that. Cause I'm writing a piece up on that and my brain's been there a lot. But what I was saying yeah. is even if you wanted to have a relationship where you are empowering your patient, the patient actually want is coming to see you has been programmed to think that I can just pay money. And someone will do it for me. That's the incentive. So even if you're a health professional and you want to take the other pathway, like I can't do it for you. I'll guide you. It's going to take time, but you have to take the initiative. They're going to be like, 
sorry, but I just want to go pay someone to do it for me. Um, because yep. I don't want to do the work. I don't have the time. I just want the solution. Now I want to be, I want to have no knee pain tomorrow. I don't give a shit about investing a month of my life and stopping training to actually resolve this, right? Like the fiat yep. lens is so potent and so manipulative that people aren't even aware. Um, they're not nudged towards taking the low time preference incentive, including the health professionals, which have basically turned into drugs, right? A physio, the pharmaceutical if, reps. if they do exactly what they're trained to do, they are a pill. They are not a resource, right? Yep. They're just not trained to be that, right? A doctor is essentially um, a drug rep. They are not actually a, a health <laughs> resource. They're just not trained to be that. It's no knock on the doctor, but having a medical well, degree I mean, does it not can mean, be, right? Yeah, I mean, I, here's the thing. I know a lot of really good people who went into medicine for the right reasons and are lit legitimately there to help humans. That's why they did the hard thing to get to where they are. The problem is they're not trained to do that. And, and that is a shitty, it's way more uncomfortable to realize that and change that than it is to simply continue what you've been doing because you paid a lot of money. You now have to pay that money off. Uh, and the only thing you know how to do is do what you were trained to do. So it's really inconvenient when your salary depends on doing the wrong thing. It's really inconvenient to try and learn the right thing. Put it that way. Yeah. And well, yeah. And like the, and the reason that I added in that little kind of like it jab is because it was a little bit of a jab. I will admit that I'm for jobs, um, but I think people need to the, be nudged with reality once in a while. Yeah. But like the, in the, like the real, the, the main reason why I, I wanted to make sure to put that in there is that like, if you're a doctor and you are not allowing yourself to see this, you're not only doing yourself a dishonesty and a disservice to yourself, but you're more importantly, you're doing both a dishonesty and disservice to the people that are coming to see you as patients. Yes, that's that's the real evil of it. Like, because and, and it's and not I'm your not fault saying, that you got there, but it's your responsibility to stop being there. Yes, but and it's it's your responsibility, and it's also your fault that you haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, because ignorance is not an excuse. Doctors and are basically fiat slaves. They're the deepest. They they're are. the most bound. This is my perspective. They are the most bound fiat slaves because they have the biggest fiat debts to pay off, and when you're a doctor, like you want to see how, how easy it is and how attractive it is to get a fiat slave, be a doctor. When you graduate medical school, they'll give you a million dollar loan. No questions asked. Cause guess what? That degree you just got signs you up to be a very profitable slave forever. Yep. Yep. And it's very sneaky and it's very uncomfortable to say that, uh, that is the reality. Have you, uh, so real quick, just off of like a little bit of a tangent, since we've done a really good job of staying within our bounds. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got a, we got a gimme. <laughs> have you, speaking of the doctors and treatments and this misallocation of resources and all this other stuff, have you heard of the Linus Pauling method for vitamin C, intravenous high dosage vitamin C treatment for like heart disease and cancer? I've heard of it. I don't know much about it. Oh, I recommend you look into it. I can actually, I'll send you a document on it. And then um, I recommend your listeners look it up because this is a treatment method that was both identified and acknowledged by, I can't remember which reputable university it was, but it's a very, very cheap method for treating like cardiovascular disease and cancer where they use high dosage vitamin C and it got aggressively brushed under the rug because it was cheap dude i started reading about can i started going into a deep dive into cancer because i had a family member that got cancer i'm like i gotta figure out the truth i bought a book 
I got like two chapters in. Whoa, you bought I a literally, book? I, um, I can't remember. Chris, his name's Chris. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I'll, I'll find out and I'll, I'll message it to you. Anyway, forewarning. Okay. I got two chapters in. I literally had to put it down because it was so fucking dark. Uh, the story of how we got to where we are with chemotherapy and cancer. It's and what the, It's gross. And, and I, I put it down because I was like, you know what? Someone will fight this battle. I will spend it's not me. <laughs> 10 lifetimes worth of energy on this problem. I'll kill myself doing that and I won't make a dent. So it's not my battle to fight. I'll fight the money back. Because the funny part is, is like now that I look back, the cancer problem is a derivative of the money problem. So I am solving, yeah. I am helping to solve the cancer problem by helping to solve the money problem. Because the only way that these bullshit treatments that actually make it worse and don't and, and never allows us to hone in on the actual truth the reason for that is because it's so profitable to treat cancer and it's unprofitable to teach people how they can resolve their cancer by just taking ownership for their health. So, and that would also mean that shit. all the, all the companies that are producing processed foods and unnatural chemical compounds also lose out on their profitability because sure. that is, that is directly, I, I don't care who you are. That is a causal and correlated, correlated relationship. The more that we have been, introducing unnatural compounds into our bodies cancer rates have gone up of course yeah it's and like a, it not just not in our bodies, but around it yeah um all right so that was solid, solid tangent solid yeah tangent solid that. tangent thanks for bringing that up so that was disease <laughs> care i don't think we'll go too deep into um i'm writing an article i'll i'll put it out there i'll open source it proof of work education versus proof of degree education, how they're different, why we need to acknowledge that difference and switch to proof of work when it comes to education within health. So I'm writing something up. We won't talk about it now because I want to talk about um, mental health, food and community uh, in yeah. terms of, and we'll have to, you know, we got uh, 35 minutes left, so we'll, we'll, we'll get it going. But I think <laughs> taking that same framework that we just used for musculoskeletal health and chronic disease, um, depression and anxiety. Low time preference approach to depression and anxiety is understand what in your life is depressing or causing you anxiety. Acknowledge those causes, understand them, take action to remove those causes, which takes a decent amount of time, takes energy, yep. Yep. and it's not very profitable. That's a low time preference approach to depression and anxiety, to dealing with mental health dysfunction. And it's not comfortable. And it's not comfortable. And it's not that profitable right now yeah. in a fiat world. I'm, I'm being very specific to say every time I say it's not profitable, what I mean is in a fiat world, it is not profitable. In a Bitcoin world, it becomes profitable, I think. Um, so that's low time preference. High time preference, which is denoted by the fiat world, is if you have depression or anxiety, take drugs to mask your symptoms, give you instant relief, but it makes it worse long term has giant con you solve one small problem and you create 10 more um so you either take drugs go dopamine hunting to distract yourself from the reality that your life is depressing or that the uncertainty because you're not dealing with your shit is causing you anxiety um and those are instant gratification uh the drugs to max symptoms are profitable in a fiat world and all of that makes the problem worse long term because you're not dealing with the, the, the actual core problem. And so, you know, I'm very optimistic for uh, a new paradigm in mental and emotional health through a low time preference lens. And 
I think through proof of work education, people who have face depression and anxiety and who, I mean, let's be real. We all face anxiety on a regular basis. This is not a bad thing. This is a signal that we need to interpret. Um, the people who have understood it the deepest by getting out of the deepest holes of those areas and have the story and to, to, to tell, um, have gained the experience that make them authorities on being able to guide others. Right. Versus yeah. proof of degree is like, you spend money to get this thing to learn the wrong shit. And now people are coming to see you because you have this um, fake authority and you're literally just guiding people into, into um, high time preference, short-term solutions that is making them worse. Yep. It's so squirrely, man. So what, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I have, I have a lot that I can say on this. Um, first of all, I understand anxiety and depression because I've, re- I've wrestled with it. So early on, like without going through my long backstory, when I was a teenager, um, I was, I was in the midst of coming out of a very deep depressionary, uh, portion of my life where I spent the latter portion of elementary, all of middle school and the first half of high school, very antisocial, very depressed, all of it. Um, and I, I, I was coming from like this deep, dark abyss that you're talking about where, I lacked social skills and all this other stuff. Like I, I hated myself. I hated the individual that I had become. I was, I was like to the point of where, like, for any of your listeners to understand this, like, true, like you don't understand it until you really, truly disgust yourself. Like that's a, that's a level of dark that I don't think many people a understand or b are willing to acknowledge about themselves. Um, you have to, you have to come to like at wit's end at that point to like really accept and like say to yourself, it's like, I hate who I've become. Mm. And when we're talking about anxiety and depression, you touched on it when you were talking about like the, the responses that the medical establishment has right now. And, and like, I wouldn't even say it's instant gratification because SSRIs don't necessarily give gratification. They just numb you. Mm they numb you to the point of where you don't feel anything. Like, cause I tried them. I, I, I was prescribed SSRIs and I flipping hated it. But because, I mean, on the flip side of that, I would say that if you were in constant pain, um, if you numb yourself, than, yeah. it's better, right? It is still relief. It's not by no means it's solving the problem, but Fair. I think from a state of pain, it is gratifying and instantly pleasurable to be out of pain despite it numbing you and probably Fair. making Fair. the rest of your life shitty as fuck. Cause now you can't experience anything. Yeah. Fair point. Um, but what people don't, don't conceptualize is that it's numbing you to all of it. So even the things that you did enjoy prior, you're, you're, you're still numb. You can't, you're just, you're going, you're going through life in this malaise, like this, like, it's just a constant, like just fog. Like if anybody has seen, um, the movie, the arrival, it's an alien movie, but if you've seen the movie, the arrival where the main character, she goes into this particular area where it's kind of like floaty and foggy. Like, that's what I would say that SSRIs feel like. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's not dark, but it's not bright either. Um, so, and then like the anxiety portion, um, A, like we said here and what we said in part one is like, if you're feeling anxiety, it's your body and your, your brain and your, your like your psyche and maybe even going into your ego or your super ego. Like, uh, I think it was Freud talked about that. Like, if you're feeling anxiety, it's because your subconscious and your physiology knows that something is wrong. It's like something is out of whack. We need to fix it. 
Now, if you're feeling, if, if you're feeling anxiety, but then you're not searching, you're not searching through yourself, honestly, to try and find the source. So like when I was dealing with depression, I was depressed. I was getting depressed because I was getting burned out from anxiety and I was getting anxiety because I wasn't doing, I wasn't capable of doing the things that I wanted to do because I could, because of all these different factors, like I couldn't maintain focus, like ADD, like all that stuff. Um, so I went to a psychiatrist and I talked to them and like got, we got down to the point where like maybe I had some ADD and like the ADD meds helped, but I'm not saying that the meds are like the, 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 I'm not saying that like these medications are like the real answer because the, the real solution that I got was when I did a full reset, I, I went in, I enlisted in the military. I went to basic training and disconnected myself from all of the negative distractions in life, whether like that's the, the TV, the alcohol, the drugs, the um, caffeine, the sugar, the, the toxic relationships in my life disconnected all of it. So I could like, search through myself while I was at basic training and really try and figure things out. And what I learned was that if you like, even with individuals with ADD or ADHD, like you can develop a way of living and having a routine to where like you, those, those negative side effects are muted. Because if you stick to a routine and you keep the outside noise, like kind of pushed out or dampened, you can get to the point of where you can really, you can hold yourself to a routine to where you can maintain focus to where you can get things done throughout the day to where you're successful. And then your, your self-confidence starts to come back. Right. But yeah. that, that requires a lot of effort and a lot of time that the current system doesn't, doesn't support. Yeah. And it's almost like the, the way you solve the antidote to depression, anxiety is clarity, right? Yeah. To, to clearly be able to acknowledge what the, fuck is going on so that you can have the information needed to make productive uh, to take productive action towards whatever end you're you're seeking right which is like a state of ease and it's kind of like you can't actually get clear until you clear until you trim the noise right so by trimming the noise all the distractions that make you feel better short term all the distractions that are contributing to the confusion um which we often put on ourselves right when you're staring when we stare into our phones, we are distracting ourselves voluntarily because it feels good, but we're distracting ourselves away from the clarity needed to actually address the reason we feel so shitty. And, yep. you know, when you're talking about pills, it's like, I, I have this metaphor in my brain sometimes where if you have an issue and someone tell it, if you have a problem to solve and someone gives you the answer, right. Um, and tells you, this is the answer and you accept that then number one, you're trusting that the answer they give you is actually the answer, right? Yep. And number two, you no longer are incentivized to actually solve the pro- go through the process of solving the problem because you've been given the answer, which you told is right. So what happens yeah. if the answer you've been given is wrong and you've never even sensed the need to engage with the process of solving the problem because you think the problem is solved? It's like someone... It's and like you, never, when you're a kid, you never learn how to learn. Exactly. And you never learn how to actually deal with your problems. It's like when you're a kid and your teacher's like, yeah, yeah, I don't need to teach you how to do math. Uh, two plus two is five. So you don't have to learn how to do addition because I just gave you the just, answer. Just know that. Yes. So you go through your whole life thinking two plus two is five and your life's fucked up because you're not living in reality and you don't have the tools to actually do math. And that's, that's like drugs, right? It's like, here's yeah. the pill. 
You don't have to spend time solving the problem because I just gave you the answer. Little do we know the answer is not the answer. And now you no longer even have a desire to find the solution because you think you've been given the solution. And, and on, like, on, on the same tangent is like for the individuals like myself that have been prescribed ADD or ADHD medication, because there's tons of us out there. Um, just taking the pill isn't the answer because if you, if you take ADD medication, but then you don't put forth the effort and the intent and the focus to get the things done that you want to get done. Like that ADD medication will cause you to focus on things that like aren't necessarily what you're trying to, what you need to get done in the first place. Like if you take ADD medication and then you put on like a TV show, you can binge that son of a bitch, like all the way through the, the through the season <laughs> and not get anything done. So it's it, yeah. like, like to the point that you were saying is like pills are not the answer. They are they never might, the answer. I mean, they might be a tool, right? Like here, they're, they're a tool. There's a good metaphor. That's exactly it. If you have a gnarly break in your arm, like your bones are misaligned, you have a broken arm, you should probably get a cast. A cast is helpful <laughs> it's to a tool. help your arm heal. <laughs> but the cast is not the solution to restoring function in your arm. If you think it is, you're, you're going to have a dysfunctional arm for a long time. So if you have. Yeah, some you don't just go of, waving it around and banging it into things. Right. So like <laughs> the pills are like the cast, it's like it's a useful tool if you use it within the appropriate context, knowing that there's actually work to be done on the other side of that um, in order to actually restore function, because the cast does not restore your function. It simply gives you a bridge tool to help you um, have the ability to get to where you can restore function. I think that's a good framing of pills. It's, 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 and let's do another, uh, another analog to this. Um, Just because we're, we're, we both like to talk about lifting and all this other stuff. Putting a barbell on your shoulders doesn't make you strong. Right. Right. And it won't, it won't cause your quads to grow because you have to have form. And then like, you have to have like tempo and all this other stuff. So just using a barbell and weights doesn't mean anything. It's just a tool, just like the cast and just like the pill. Like you, you, like people need to people that use a barbell and fuck themselves up is way larger than the amount of people that use a barbell and built functional strength. Put it that way. <laughs> so it's yeah. really how you use the tool, not the tool. The tool is neutral until used. How you use the tool determines whether it is productive towards um, improving health or whether it actually messes you up. Because the amount of people I treated in the clinic that exercised or ran or did or lifted weights was way higher than the people who didn't. Because sitting all day makes it so that exercise is a risk factor. It's not good for you anymore, literally on yep. net. So we just have to be careful thinking that some arbitrary tool used mindlessly is going to somehow benefit us. Um, and, and that can any, be frustrating any to people who don't get it. Any arbitrary tool that's used mindlessly is always going to have a negative consequence. Yes, I agree. And it can be... Um, it can be frustrating. I, I sense the frustration in people when I was treating as a therapist because they're like, I don't get it. I'm running. I'm going to the gym. I'm doing all the things I think I'm supposed to do. Um, and I'm getting messed up. Like my knee's blasting. My knee's getting blasted. My shoulder's hurt. And it's like, well, the thing no one told you is that when you sit all day and then you do those things, those things become things that accelerate damage to your body. Because you're increasing your fragility. Yeah, you're adding load and reps to poor movement patterns. Right. Yeah. So you should probably make sure you have good movement patterns first before you add on load or reps um, or, you know, anything on top of intensity, all that kind of stuff. So it's just like 
we just don't know the basic principles of what it means to move well as a human and how to self-screen ourselves. Like that's one thing the health network I work with is big on is the digital tools we put out there all include some way of doing self-screens to determine for yourself what is your current level of function. Because if yep. it's not very high, you probably shouldn't be doing any intense, vigorous, loaded activity. You should probably focus on restoring natural function first, and then you can layer on capacity. But you layer on capacity on dysfunction, and you're just going to accelerate your path to damage or disease. That, that analogy is perfect for basically everything in life. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Basically. Cause like, and like, and there was, cause there's another dynamic of this too, with like regards to the the health and the weightlifting and the using of tools and all this other stuff um, is intent because say for the shoulder and the knee example, you're talking about, because I struggled with this for a very long time. Like when using a tool, the intent is also very, very important. So in this example, let's say you're doing a barbell squat. And you've got the weight on your shoulders and everything and you're going down. But if you're thinking about applying force at the knee joint, you're going to screw up the knee because this is exactly what I did. Instead of thinking about applying force by like thinking about using your quads, which is like the actual mover, I was thinking about applying force through the knees and I gouged my meniscus on my left knee twice. And, and as soon as I stopped thinking about it in that regards, I started thinking about using like the actual movers like for example, the muscles, like the quadriceps and the glutes and squeezing and focusing on trying to really learn how to control myself and squeezing with those muscles, then the knee pain went away. And the same thing with my shoulders. So I was doing the same exact thing. So like, so like people need to conceptualize this because this isn't, isn't just for working out. It is for everything in life. You could, you could even use it in like, if you want to get really controversial, you could use it in the, in the whole, um, the second amendment and the firearms debate. Like the intent is what matters because it's just a tool. So if, cause if you have a firearm and you intend to do evil, you're going to get evil. But if you have a firearm, you intend to do good. Well, okay. Intent won't like, isn't everything obviously, but if you have a firearm with the intent of protecting your family, that's a totally different conversation. Yeah. Right. So like people, yeah. people need to think about like these, these nuances to everything. I agree. They need time to think about the nuances. So they need to use money. That yes. Protects for they need, they need they Bitcoin can't. to get the time to think about the nuances. <laughs> exactly. All starts with Bitcoin. I mean, we might be biased a little bit, but I think we've just put in more time. We've had more because of Bitcoin. I've had more time to look into these things and get closer to truth. So it's like yep. this self-fulfilling thing where it's like, get Bitcoin, have more time, discover more truth, realize how important Bitcoin is, get more Bitcoin, blah, 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 repeat. And um, then produce more value because yes. you're learning more so you can like teach more. Yes. And then usually income follows with that. Exactly. Two more parts to talk about. We've got 20 minutes. So I think we're doing good with time. Yep. Let's talk about food. So I'm going to use the same framework. Oh, let's go. Within the <laughs> framework of, I'm going to keep us honest to 10 minutes here because uh, we could probably talk about food for three freaking hours. So we'll, we'll okay. keep it tight. So I'll talk about it in the context of low and high time preference in in two domains number one is obtaining food so that's more of an individual element and then within the context of farming so let's talk about the individual obtaining food the low time preference way of obtaining food and once again bitcoin fosters a low time preference mindset whereas fiat fosters a high time preference mindset low time preference obtaining food is growing food if you're not growing it yourself it's taking the time to source real food from farmers who take care to ensure that it's nutrient dense and healthy that's a low time preference method of obtaining food. High time preference driven by fiat is buying cheap processed junk at the supermarket because you can get it right now. You can literally even get it delivered to your door by an Uber driver. And so that's a, 
I think that's an easy way to kind of map out when it comes to obtaining food, fiat nudges us towards high time preference, buying cheap shit that damages us long term. We get the food now, but we pay with our health and future, right? It's like cheap food, expensive medical bills, expensive food in time and energy, no medical bills. And then with farming, low time preference uh, fosters a mindset of stewarding healthy soils through regenerative practices that don't yes um that that take time to develop you know it takes time to foster healthy soil to do everything needed to explore what is actually what are actually the things i need to do to have healthy soil so that i can have healthy food low time preference whereas high time preference it just like with health of taking drugs we give the soil drugs we use fertilizers herbicides fungicides frankenstein crops the high time preference method of farming is what the fiat world has nudged and it has literally destroyed all of our agricultural systems and we need to get back to low time preference farming, which I think Bitcoin nudges us towards. What are your thoughts? Yes. Uh, wow. Um, yeah. So um, actually, I won't I won't elaborate on either of those two because you actually did it quite well in a much shorter time frame than I would have. Um, but I will say that as far as the regenerative farming. So the solution to the problem that we have right now is what you were elaborating on is like the fact that the soil health has been degraded so much to the point of where we need these drug inputs. I would, mm. I would argue that they are drugs. Like you said, like it's basically pharmaceutical inputs for the soil. Yep. And we're, we've been oblivious to the signal that we've been getting because our nutrient density of our produce is down basically in all of the important um, minerals and vitamins is down across the board. Like there is a couple, um, I think I sent you a couple of research papers where like a lot of the, the big ones, oh no, no, it was Texas Slim that was asking for them. So if you want them, I can send them to you. Um, but a lot of the, the vitamins and minerals that we need outside of like the really easily reproducible ones, the cheap ones like B vitamins and all this other stuff are down across the board anywhere from 12% to like 60 to 80% since the fifties. And, and the, the way, the way we get back to it is introducing carbon back into the soil, right? Because that's what allows the mycorrhizal ecosystem to replenish and proliferate because the mycorrhizal ecosystem is what determines the health of the soil because that ecosystem allows for bacteria to develop at the, like within the immediate proximity of the root systems. And those bacteria change a lot of the minerals that are in the soil into a new compound that the root system can uptake. And then the plant can use as far as um, nutrients for the, for the plant. Um, And this is now, so the, the cool part is this is where companies like great American mining can actually play a role because the way we get back to like affecting, like getting regenerative farming to where it, it can do what it needs to do and where it can do what it needs to do for like our own uses is we like the, like the United States of America and basically the world over is going to need more oil and gas production because we're going to need more oil and gas production so that we can produce the technologies that allow us to get to that future to where we aren't using the natural gas to produce fertilizers we're using it to heat homes and all this other stuff, but we're using the oil and gas to produce diesel to like run the equipment so that we can get to these farms back to like, cause like the, the thing that most people don't conceptualize is with regenerative farming, you need a very complex kind of like 
not only a crop rotation schedule, but you need a, a relatively complex structure for like the field itself. Because there's, there's a, a system of like a tree line or a brush line to allow for like ecosystems as far as like predatory birds and insects to feed on the, uh, the pests that would eat the crops, right? Um, so that means that we would have to dramatically shift the landscape of a lot of these monocropped um, farms that are out here in the Midwest. Like especially out in North Dakota, the fields are flipping massive. If if you haven't driven through the oil fields of North Dakota, the oil fields are like they're they're, they're oil fields. But outside of the oil fields are the the wheat fields, the wheat and like the the corn fields out there. It is breathtaking how large these these farms are because here in Iowa they're smaller. They're broken up into little families that are all leasing off the land. Mm. Um, so if you want deserts, like a giant wheat yeah. monocrop is a when it when it you know, it doesn't look like a desert, but in terms of the life density per unit of space, it's a desert, right? Which is why yeah. you have to inject so much artificial shit to nudge life to just survive and grow because it's barren. And, and I like what you said there, where it's like, if we want to restore regenerative, holistic ecosystems, it's going to take energy. It's going to take yeah. machinery. It's going to take fuel. It's going to take energy for us to build a base. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be a ton of planting to, uh, to plant those those brush systems and everything. Because the cool part is, and the, the now the part that people may not be understanding right now is like that sounds like a lot of cost on our end as far as like use of diesel fuel and the the equipment and all this other stuff to to plant these regenerative farm like landscapes. The return, the delayed gratification, the low time preference part of it is that once you get these regenerative landscapes to the point of where they are essentially operating on their own. And all you have to do is just like maintain the crop rotation schedule to, to keep the nutrients like constantly flowing through the soil. Once you get to that point, um, I recommend your listeners uh, read the book Growing a Revolution by David Montgomery. He talks about the math on this to where the farms that have been able to effectively implement this, I think we're in, they were in North Dakota, might've been South Dakota, one of the Dakotas. Um, university tried this out and they have found that the returns on like they get they it the the returns that they get on the investment for these crops are less fuel inputs, less water inputs because the soil because the the soil carbon holds water. Yeah, the carbon quantity like the mycorrhizal and all that stuff it holds more water in the soil so they don't have to water it as much. They don't have to spend all the fuel putting the fertilizers down on the the field or anything like that. They get like 3 to 400% yield increases with less inputs, like the, the math speaks for itself. Once you it's get like the ultimate time. marshmallow experiment. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it is. It really it's like is. You got to give like, off, you got to sacrifice your marshmallow today, which is your like clinging for life crop that requires so much input in order to get a million marshmallows in two years. It's like the yeah. ultimate one. And it's so hard. It's, it's messed up that we put farmers in this position because these people work so hard. They are literally the bedrock of supporting life. They've been screwed yep. over by um, chemical companies that convinced them that these things, these chemicals were good um, at the expense of long-term soil health, which is literally their savings account. Like I heard um, a farmer the other day on one of Texas Slim's podcasts talk about how if you look at farmer economics, the animals and the plants that are currently growing is your checking account. The soil is your savings account. And so yeah. all these farmers are literally depleting their checkings account into massive um, overdraft 
just to sustain a checking account that allows them to survive. And yeah. it's really hard to say, well, you're going to have to go without for two years because your savings account has to replenish so that you can actually start doing this in an economically viable way without being at the whim of chemical companies. So it's a tricky situation, but at the end of the day, it's like a fever, right? Fevers are uncomfortable. They suck, yep. but it's better than dying. Yeah. So you can either die or have a fever. We can either um, blast the soil and eliminate our ability to produce any food, or we can take the short-term discomfort, make the changes we know we need to make so that we can survive and thrive. Yeah. And part of, and part of addressing that, that fever is to reduce the, the inflammatory, like, contents that we're taking in that are like that are exacerbating that fever right Mm. and in my opinion that would be cheaper energy for for this solution which would be i I gotta i gotta plug my company because it's my job but um cheaper energy would be incent this goes back to bitcoin too because cheaper energy production is incentivized by bitcoin and bitcoin mining like consume the excess energy that is being burnt off with no benefit, which is natural gas, the associated natural gas specifically, through flaring, instead of just burning it, consume it with Bitcoin, get that those profits to the oil companies so the oil companies can further invest in infrastructure that is necessary that hasn't been getting done so that we can utilize oil and gas more efficiently and more economically and then start driving the cost of all these different inputs like machinery and diesel fuel start driving the cost down so that these farmers can afford to take these risks as far as regenerative farming. And well said. It makes it makes makes fertilizer cheaper in the short run to the point of where now that can be a little bit of a negative against what we're arguing. But the diesel costs going down and the machinery costs going down allows the farmers to take the financial risk of maybe starting out one of their plots into one of these regenerative aspects. Yes. And then, then it's just, then it's just momentum and it carries itself through. Awesome. I think we did a pretty good <laughs> job with 10 minutes on that. Uh, so we got, we got 10 minutes left. I got a hard code stop at 1130. So yep. let's talk about the last element, um, community, or I think the best way to word that in, in a frame that people understand is relationships, right? Peer to peer connections. Yeah. So I'm going to go through that same thing. We'll riff on it and then we'll wrap up in like eight or nine minutes. So okay. when it comes to relationships, low time preference let's talk about relationships and then we'll talk about sex specifically because i think they're you know obviously sex is part of relationships but it can be viewed independently to illustrate this with relationships low time preference relationships are long-term relationships for example having engaging in a long-term relationship with a partner starting a family that's low time preference it requires energy it doesn't happen right away it takes time to develop um, and nourish these relationships whereas high time preference relationships are short-term Flighting relationships usually oriented around pleasure or sex. And even if we look directly into sex itself, it's like low time preference sex is taking time to fully and deeply connect with someone sexually. Whereas high time preference is like getting laid and watching porn. And so if we look at, you know, the world through the fiat lens, it's all about short term flighting relationships oriented around sex. And even within sex, it's about getting laid and watching porn. Whereas if we look at the world through a Bitcoin lens, through a low time preference lens. It's about building long-term relationships, starting a family, which is a very long-term endeavor. And also (laughs) within the realm of sex, taking time to actually understand and connect with someone on a level that is like, requires a lot of energy, but is so much more nourishing. And so I think it's, 
I mean, that's an obvious one for me to see how fiat world of high time preference has just manipulated and destroyed the nourishing relationships that are required for health and has just led us towards this like fake junk food version of relationships and sex to where everyone feels empty and lonely and miserable, which feeds them into the cycle of dopamine hunting and doing more of the high time preference shit. So it's like, we got to bump out of this. And I think we do that by changing the base bedrock incentives that nudge us towards high time preference behaviors and away from, uh, or nudge us towards low time preference behaviors and away from this high time preference bullshit. Yeah. Like, uh, I can tell you from my own personal experience being a millennial single Bitcoiner that is like putting forth these practices in the dating world. It is not easy right now because like 99% of the market is on the fiat side. Like everybody's using these stupid dating apps. They're all just trying to find immediate lay. Like it's like, and epitome of high time preference. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because like, Cause like one, one thing that people don't like, like the, the, the sexual market doesn't want to like accept because I think I really do think it's a resistance to acceptance. Like, like the market doesn't want to accept that. Oh, like you, you want a meaningful relationship. That doesn't mean getting laid as soon as you meet them. Right. Like that, that, that could mean not getting laid in the first couple of years of knowing them. Like you gotta like, like I'm to the point. Yeah. I'm to the point now where like, as far as dating, like I don't even do dating. Like it's really more of just like trying to find people like uh, women that are interesting for me, because if I don't find them interesting, if I don't admire them, then I don't respect them. And if I don't respect them, then it's not going to be a, a, a fulfilling relationship to begin with. Yes. Because like one people, one thing that people also aren't thinking about is that like having these flighting fleeting relationships of just getting the sex out and dipping, that's a level of disrespect. And I lived that lifestyle basically my entire life. Like it was all about just like, you know, another notch on the belt. Like that was a win, like moving on to the next one. And it's disgusting. Like looking back at like, I don't, I'm not proud of it, but like, and at the same time, like when it comes to, if you want to, if you want a family and you want kids, that should mean in my opinion, that you want to, you want to build a, an environment where you're going to, be capable of producing the best child or children that you can produce as far as like really effective members of society, like the members of society that can carry their current society off into the future into a better position than when they, than when you brought them into the world. Right. And if you're going to do that, studies have shown us that a strong, healthy, established nuclear family is how you do it. A, a strong healthy mother figure and a strong, healthy father figure, because mother, the mother is typically going to represent nurture. The father is typically going to represent nature. And you, you like that dynamic teaches the, 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 the good warm truths of life and the the hard cold truths of life. And you produce a very effective member of society out of that. If you aren't taking the time to understand, to, <laughs> to understand, to understand your lover. If you're not taking the time to understand your lover, like on, on a very deep sense, like if you're not having the, 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 the discussions around, like, what do you think happens after death? Like, like what's your spirituality, like philosophy on life, like all this stuff. If you're not like, 
And I've told this to a couple of the women that I've gone on dates with in the last couple of years. It's like, I'm sorry. I don't care what your favorite color is. Like, I'm not going to ask because I'm going to find that out by spending time with you. Right. I will learn that. So I don't care to ask you what your favorite damn color is or your favorite meal. Yeah, I, I will the learn that. I want to discover what the answer is. Because I value you as an individual. I'm going to be paying attention to that stuff. Like, let's talk about the stuff that really matters. Let's talk about like politics, where we think our country is going to go, like all this stuff. None of that is in the conversation right now as far as sexual relationships go. Yeah, I feel like I got super lucky. I, I, you know, like I'm the same as you. And I don't think there's any, um, you know, I don't think there's it, it, the, the shitty part is the limbo area where you know that's that, that those flighting relationships are not healthy and they're not good, but there's you perceive no other option. So you keep engaging in them. And I think that is like, for me, that was painful. And there was shame associated with that. But when you look back, it's yeah. like, well, we're doing the best we we're all doing the best we can with the information we have and what we perceive is available in the world. My, and, my, uh, my choice with that, with that difficult situation, my choice is to just abstain from it. Yep. Like, like I, to take, yeah. to take, to take the, the, the really difficult path. Well, it's difficult in different senses, right? Because I would rather take the difficult path and not engage in it at all than engage with it in little spurts. Because every time I have engaged with it in little spurts, it tries to pull me back. Yeah. And that's why I'm just like, cause it's, it's like, it's like somebody that uh, went to rehab for drug abuse. Like every, like if you're going to allow yourself to go, like some people can, can manage to like get the little taste and come back and it's not a problem, but a lot of us will get the taste and then you want to go back and just dive back into it. And I, I, I would, it's a lot easier on my psychology to just not engage at all. Yeah. And by not engaging, you create more, I would say discomfort, um, which is actually the stimulus needed to continue the search for the thing, for the meaningful relationship. Yeah. To continue um, growth. Yep. Yeah. So Dude, that was a great conversation. Time flies. I appreciate you sharing your stories and your experience because I think I think the power of story is underrated. And I think sharing stories um, of our lives requires courage because it's like we're putting ourselves out there for judgment and it's vulnerable. Yeah. But I think that's the only path, right? And it the more the more I seem to do it, the better it feels because the more nudges I get that people are actually being inspired or or uh, learning from that directly or indirectly. So well, it adds it adds value to it because if if yeah. like you if, if there realness. isn't like if, yeah, if there isn't the personal touch to what we're talking about, why should anybody even listen to what we're saying? Well said. That's our proof of work, right? Your stories are your proof of work. Um, yeah. So thanks for doing this, Mike. Uh, to everyone listening, thank you for being here, for your attention. We uh, take your attention seriously, and we're honored that you chose to send it to us. We hope that this conversation uh, was helpful and valuable and insightful. We would love to hear your feedback and comments, whether that's on YouTube or um, whether you do that through a message through Fountain. So if you enjoyed the content, you can let us know by streaming or boosting sats through Fountain or by sending some sats to QR code on the homepage at bitcoinstore.com. Mike and I do a split on this on Fountain, which is super cool. If you record podcasts with someone, I think the Bitcoin way is to share uh, the feedback and the revenue from that podcast. So um, we will get this live as soon as we can. Wishing you all a great day. Mike, stick around for maybe 20 seconds. We'll sign off when we're done recording. And uh, to everyone listening, thanks for being here. And we'll catch you next time.